0: Hello, and welcome to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and I'm joined today by...
1: Brendan Sinclair. Chris String, James Batchelor.
0: We are here, as always, to discuss the latest games industry news and headlines, starting with... Hey Brendan! Hi! You just published two back-to-back interviews with Oddworld creative director Lauren Lanning and executive producer Benny Terry III, and they're both extremely interesting. Go read them at GamesIndustry.biz if you haven't yet. But the second one in particular, uh, Landing had some rather cynical thoughts on industry labor practices that I think are worth talking about. Do you want to give us a summary of what that was all about?
1: Yeah, so this is something that um, I'm surprised I haven't talked to him about this before or, or seen other people uh, ask him about it. But like in 1997, their first game, Oddworld Abe's Odyssey, is really, really obviously about capitalist exploitation of workers. And it was made in an era when uh, game developers basically were just assumed to be crunching constantly and burning out on every single game that they made. And so I asked him, kind of like, you know, you did this, this game that really seems to be against exploitation of workers. Were were you were you exploiting your workers to make that game? And he basically said yeah, crunch is terrible. And it's always been terrible and it's still terrible. And then he kind of like went off, I guess. Not like a rant or anything. It's just he's got a lot of thoughts on the subject and it's a um it's, it's interesting because he clearly has this sort of ideal as to the way things should be. Um, but he also is a person that runs and, and owns his own development studio. And is, well, they're not so much a development studio anymore. They partner with other developers. But, you know, is his own gaming business. And, and he's he's trying to keep that going and make the games that he wants to make and there's definitely some compromises on those ideals of his that, that get made in in order to do this i don't think that's particularly unique among developers uh where where studio heads will say like yeah this isn't ideal but i'll do it to get by um but i i do find it interesting slash disappointing coming from landing especially because uh odd world like 20 years ago to to have a you know game in that that sort of top tier triple a level uh that actually had a message that was not ashamed of it that was even like politically aware as a baseline was such a strange phenomenal thing uh, to see him, sort of, it sounds like you know, just grimly accept that that the reality of his studio is not going to match up with the the ideals that he espouses in his games was a bit of a bummer.
0: I I, I read the interview. I it, it was really depressing. Like there's some there's some lines in there that like I, I think. You know it's tough to like pull the context of an interview but i, I think the lines that got me or, sorry it's, it's tough to like know what's going on in someone's head like like specifically when they're saying something in an interview um if you don't you know you can't get to like the absolute nuts and bolts of it but i think it was really the the stuff he said about audiences and how like audiences don't care about crunch it's it, it sucks because it's it's kind of true right like it's great that we have this kind of new awareness of you know working conditions in the industry and you know there's a lot of people who do care who are working to you know fix that and make things better for people um but also like like at the baseline the people who are just going out to the store and buying games i mean they don't most of them don't know and if they do know like like we live in a society where day after day we do kind of shrug off like you know the the things that get done to get the products that we use made i mean i'm sure there's a bunch of stuff that i own in my house that was made using bad labor practices and i don't know about it and i I mean this this is like really awkward to say but like how how many people would like how many things can you like realistically cut out of your life because you find out that you know something bad was done in the making of it and like i think that just sort of jades us a little bit to i don't know things like that if that makes sense
1: yeah i mean you look at red dead redemption too. And in the weeks before that came out, it, it became pretty clear to everybody, I think, that the the, the people making that game were not always um, treated the best. And, and that the, the work environment that they were working under is, it could be pretty rotten. But it still goes on to sell just heaps and heaps of copies and, you know, tons of... of people that were on twitter talking about how horrible the working conditions are and calling on rockstar to do better are the next week you know talking about how much they're enjoying the game or even if they're not enjoying it they're sitting there playing it and giving their thoughts on it because it's you know it is the game of the moment and and the quote from landing that you were um i think referencing was the audience is absolutely ruthless and we should never suspect for a second that they're not. They are absolutely ruthless. They don't care how many people died making the product. And then he laughs and says, "I mean literally. They don't care. We are ruthless with how we spend our money." And I like you don't you don't begrudge someone who orders stuff from Amazon or shops at Walmart um just because like it's tough all around. And that's, that's how they manage to get by. Uh, It's just like, well, it's really cheap and it's actually affordable for me and I'm living on a very tight budget. Like you don't really, you don't really begrudge people for that, but like, I I, I don't know. It's the sort of thing where you, you kind of, you hear people say things like there's no ethical consumption under capitalism and you start to realize everything from you know the um red dead redemption down to where you get your basic groceries like it's 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 such a wide-ranging web of you know moral implications and absolutely everything that we do and you can't really account for all of it and it just becomes like um Anyone that's seen the good place recently, and I'm not gonna say any any more about this, <laughs> it's probably like I was literally going to reference The Good Place. <laughs> which everyone should watch because
2: it is fantastic. It's a
0: fantastic show.
2: I don't know. It's interesting about the Rockstar things. Everyone I've heard about I've had about four or five people talk to me recently about how, you know, Rockstar was notoriously, you know, saw the people slagging off Rockstar, the Rockstar staff. And actually, what I remember was about a handful of Rockstar staff criticizing Rockstar, and the vast majority of them coming out to say, Yeah, it wasn't a problem, we liked it. Um and I Think that is interesting. I was reading some of that landing comments was the fact that you know you was talking about the Bohemian Rhapsody and working through the night to write that song. And you know, James and I will remember we've worked late, late, late into the evenings on big issues of when we used to write magazines. And um, you know, and there was everyone was you know, there was no there was nobody, it was a small team, you know, you're talking four or five people, but that we we kind of were proper into it, proper excited about it. And it's only afterwards, so you know, it's only now that. We're older, and we've got responsibilities. That it starts, um, that we start realizing that actually, that wasn't, that wasn't right. Um, we, we, you know, um, how did you know? How did our boss feel about that? He had two kids at home. You know, it was we had that. Um, we perhaps didn't realize it at the time. Um, and it's the same. I've got. Um, I know somebody very close to me who is a game developer, who um, actually lies on his timestamp card so he can work longer. And he loves his, He loves what he's doing so much. He's really into it. He's, he's really into the point, he wants it to be the best. He really wants to impress his boss and all this kind of stuff. He just loves it. And, but he's, you know, they have a very strict policy in order to try and stop people overworking. Um, overtime's fine, but, you know, like, they don't want people overworking. So they, um, they, uh, 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 so what he does is he just, cause, you know, they've got flexible working hours. So it's great. They can come in when they, you know, they can come in and leave and this kind of stuff, you know, whenever it suits their lives. They're quite, quite flexible like that. And he utilizes that ability to, um, Effectively work longer than he's supposed to um, because he likes his job, and, I, and, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of think the impact of that, though, on the person who is perhaps also on your team who does a similar job but doesn't have that, you can't do that, and whether that sets an. Edit, anyway, oh, the conversation can live on forever, can't it?
1: Yeah, and it's 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 a cultural thing as much like in in all these all these stories about massive crunch at, at studios. Very few people actually say this was mandated or this was explicitly ordered. It's it's always there's a big cultural element of just like, well, there's huge pressure on you to do this when you start working there. And everyone else seems to be not going home at a reasonable hour, you know, or or they, they keep talking about, you know, lionizing the sacrifice that they make for the good of the project and to create something special and and it's it's just kind of i don't know you 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 see that enough and it becomes easier i think to kind of recognize like what so, what a what a hollow thing that is to hold up and how that that cultural set of values benefits uh some people but certainly really works against the the interests of you know the rank and file the people that are being asked to to pull the longest hours and and you know work work the hardest on the project at at the you know not trying to minimize what directors and leads and everything might also have to be pulling long hours but you know, the, the rewards that, that each get in relation to that are, are clearly pretty, pretty skewed. Yeah. We've, we've reported in the past of how, you know, the, in all
3: of these expertise, it's always the, the fact that the rewards are, are skewed more towards the, the top than they are the bottom or that, that people are you know, people like the chap that um, Chris mentioned, like might be rewarded for putting on all those extra hours, whereas someone else can't, like it's, it's the, the rewarding of crunch that's, that's, perhaps the biggest part of the issue because that as long as as long as people are rewarded for overworking or as long as the top the people at the top are rewarded for achieving something through overworking workers it's not going to go away and and as we say like yeah like it's 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 starting to sound like as much as this is an industry-wide issue, it's an industry-wide issue on an individual level in that it comes down to each individual to say, no, I am going to work my assigned hours. I am going to finish this tomorrow. If it takes longer, it takes longer. I just, I need to maintain a work-life balance. But the problem is, as we've said, like, you know, with enough, you only need two or three people not doing that or four or five people not doing that, that it influences others to to continue self crunching as it were. And it, it, it's just a mess. And I, the more we talk about crunch, the less I see a solution to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, like like Lanning says, making things in that manner ends up being rewarded with success like he he lists the the various examples of things that were like movies and things that were made with just excessive work and all those things were successful I mean I I have this conversation sometimes with people who say to me hey I want to do games writing you know how how did you get into it how did you do it and the the really sucky answer is I started by working way way too many hours and getting paid not nearly enough for them and and it, it sucks to like, to, like, say that because I'm like, this is what I did, but please don't do this. Like, yes, it, it led to me getting to do what I love, but God, don't do this. You know, work, work normal hours and get paid normally for it. Like, it, well, you can, it's, it's so frustrating.
1: You can point to hit movies that were made with, with people working around the clock um, or Rebecca, who has clearly made it uh, now after working around the clock. Um, but for every one of those stories, how many stories are there of, you know, games that just failed? They either came out and they, they commercially flopped or they just fell apart in development. And years of people's lives were burned away for nothing. I mean, they might not even have anything that they can, like, put in their pro- portfolio to get a new job after that because it's all under NDA. And, and it's, it's almost like a survivorship bias, um I mean the, the I think the fact of the matter is like there's an element of luck in success of any kind and there are elements of privilege that that people have when they uh when they succeed in anything like m- when I got my start in in games journalism I had the privilege to not be drowning in student debt and having to work a whole bunch of you know extra hours at a job to, to to pay that off so i had some free time that i could use to um work basically for free for a website around you know 2000 2001 uh which was a very different period so that was also a privilege just like when i was coming coming up and there were just tons and tons of gaming websites and blogs out there a lot of them minor and, and but a lot of them Aid a little or or gave you some you know free free review copies and then I was fortunate because the one that I signed up with initially um, was was run by a wealthy guy who decided like okay well we're going to step things up and we're going to we're going to make this a professional website and then a magazine things like that so I had you know I, I had an in right there and like my entire Professional career, I can point to, you know, the 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 stupid blind luck that got me here, there, and and the next place that someone that worked harder might not have gotten. Someone that didn't didn't have as much flexibility with their time or with their money or whatever would not have gotten. And and it's Is it- it's frustrating. I was- Sorry. I was agreeing
2: there was interestingly I went we went to an education event uh, a couple of months ago and they were talking about how um, the game developers it's completely we're going off topic but game developers were talking um, about how university grades are sort of important but what's really important is their portfolio their portfolio of work they've done on the side of their university course where they've actually used coding or art or something where they get to show stuff so what's important is they have a really good portfolio and really good grades and then the educators hit back by saying what about those students that can't afford to go to university so they're having to work as well as go to university so we're effectively doing two jobs studying and work and now you're telling them they need to do a third job which is program and create stuff or design stuff in their spare time in order to create a portfolio in order to get a job in the games industry and it was all about you know some people have the privilege where they you know they didn't have to work extra, they didn't have kids at home and this kind of stuff and some people don't and that's the um and that's you know that's a just the all society unfair and actually you're talking there about having to work for you know, for, for a website, James, you had a pretty much identical story, didn't you? And, um, uh, when you used to work at in stock magazine and that's how you started off.
3: Well yeah i bit I bit my lip from from sharing it because it's kind of kind of similar to brendan like i I look back and it's like I realized how privileged I was, so I basically worked for the first year and a half of my career for free. I was doing two or three days a week on a magazine for free. I was not being paid. I had my travel to the office reimbursed, but I was not being paid in any paid anything, but it meant that I stepped out of university with a year and a half worth of published work, established industry contacts, and essentially a job offer because my internship then became a staff writer role. But that is entirely because I was living at home, so I didn't have any kind of outgoings or anything. Um, it was because I chose to do it. It, was cho- it. was, I chose how to spend my time because I had, I was at, on a university course where there wasn't any exams, there wasn't a dissertation, there wasn't a great deal of homework at all, to be fair. So I had two or three days a week to spare to go and uh, build up my portfolio, and it was, it was my choice. I actually was on um, at the uh, gamesindustry.biz career fair, Um, back at EGX Res in March, I was on a panel about journalism, how to get into journalism. Um, and I told that story in a much, much more long-winded way. And I found myself saying, like, you know, but the whole panel was like, yeah, but don't do what we did. Don't work for free. And I found myself saying, like, no, don't work for free unless you can or want to. If you are in the position where you have those privileges, if you are ha- in the position where you can afford to work for free for that length of time and
1: you believe it will benefit you, that is your choice. But then it is also your... <laughs> if you're working for free, you're also undermining the effort efforts of anyone that refuses to work for free because yeah and you're you're telling that that the
0: true. people that are not paying you that that's fine to do yeah I mean that's so, so yeah, like that's but, just yeah. more of the like I said, like I, said I, I,
3: I, I do look back and I realize I worked far too long for far too little I absolutely realize particularly when I look back and I was writing like most of the damn mag on my own it was a monthly magazine <laughs> and I was easily writing like half the damn content and they weren't they weren't having to spend anything other than however much it was for my train fare so I do look back and realize yeah I shouldn't have done that but equally I can't get away from the fact that if I hadn't done that I wouldn't be here that feels wrong but that's the reality
1: of what i've been through yep yep and that sounds like a pretty <laughs> exploit yeah. exploitive situation
0: that's unfortunately the industry and i i don't know i don't know what can be done to change it other than keep saying that this is not sustainable and to keep trying to when we can provide opportunities for people to get a start that's in a healthy sustainable way
2: so i think the industry overall generally trends towards that we're getting older there are fewer people in the industry now that actually physically can crunch let alone be willing to do so um when i say older i don't mean like the industry i mean the people who are in it are getting older the more of them have families more of them have those responsibilities than they did even five ten years ago And we're also moving into a world where service-based games... I love the Dying Light stuff recently. There's a piece on Dying Light. They basically managed to spend an extra two years making Dying Light 2. Because Dying Light 1 kept being successful because it was a service-based game. And you talk about these companies who are service-based companies, the ones that do. They often have trouble at the beginning, like the Epic Games and stuff, when the games are out and there's problems and they've got to fix them. But actually, after a a little while, because they're service-based games... um, they can't obviously crunch 24-7. They've got to create systems and stuff in order to manage this sort of workflow. And they eventually find their way. And I do get the sense when I talk to, when I talk to, there's quite a few companies that enter the Best Place to Work Awards that used to have crunch problems and they've sort of got rid of them. And it's sort of been a, as a result of an, a changing industry. It's been a result of different bosses with different, you know, priorities. You know, I love, you know, Criterion is a wonderful example of a studio that they, when they, they won that, they were the top scoring company in our Best Place to Work Awards UK last year. And they came up on stage, and the thing they speech they said is that if you have, have done this five years ago, we'd have won the worst place to work awards. And it's, um, it's and they and they it partly helps that they now they sort of help other studios rather than develop their own games. But it's 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 interesting to hear how the how those hit companies are able to suddenly get rid of some of these practices as a result of an industry changing into a more in a way a more constant level of work. But because because they can't it's, because it's less about deadlines and it's more about constant content. It, it's, it becomes a bit more manageable so i'd hope over time that will it will become there'll be fewer of these stories i think they'll always exist in entertainment but I, I think you know i i i i'm a little bit more hopeful than the negative the negative conversation so far
0: no i think that's fair i do think there's definitely been a dividing line kind of a dividing trend on you know the kinds of interviews that we've done on our site you know and maybe the last year and some of the news stories we report um uh, some of the people who have been in the industry for you know like, like 10, 20 years, whatever. Um, They've been doing this for a while. Like you said, you know, they're getting older, it's less sustainable. They kind of either go one of two ways. Either they're they're on the back end of a negative news story kind of trying to say no you know everybody here is really passionate and they all just want to work really hard or something and it ends up coming across as no actually crunch is fine Um, but then like the other half of them are saying yeah we did crunch you know a decade ago and it was awful and we're starting to realize that that's actually not a great way to make games or anything else and so we're trying to fix it like it seems to go one way or the other
3: I wonder how what sort of things will we be reporting in five to ten years' time because, as, as we've already said, like there are a couple of studios who who said, yeah, we had this issue like five ten years ago and we've worked on it. I think because crunch has been so so prominent in the headlines for the last year or so, it feels like mo- more prominent than any other point during my career. I'm quietly hoping that like five, 10 years, because these are not quick fishes, fixes, these are systemic issues that take a while to fix. So I quietly hope that, you know, five ten years time, you'll be reading loads of stories on GameStudio.biz about how we destroyed crunch, how we are now a crunch free studio.
0: I'd like that too. So maybe that's enough talk about work. Um, let's talk about play for a little bit. Uh, specifically, a new activity in GTA 5 that was announced this or introduced this week, Sorry, uh, the Diamond Casino and Resort. It's an in-game casino where players can take their in-game money and spend it on various gambling games, hoping to win more in-game money. Great. Totally unremarkable. Except in GTA 5, you can buy in-game money with real money, which effectively means in GTA 5, you can gamble real money and get nothing back since there's no way to cash out chips or in-game money into real money. Um, that would make it like actual gambling so at a time when everyone's already raising eyebrows at in-game monetization mechanics it kind of sounds to me like rockstar has just gone all in on making something in a video game that looks like gambling and kind of smells like gambling but isn't quite gambling like it stops just short of it uh but what are your guys' thoughts on this
3: the timing on this was just so incredible. <laughs> like,
0: I swear they've done this. Oh, on, yeah. You, yeah, I swear
3: yeah. they've done this on purpose because, I, as, as we've been covering on GamesIndustry.biz, the the House of Commons committee in the UK Parliament is doing a massive inquiry into all forms of immersive and addictive technology. And a prominent theme in that conversation has been loot boxes and gambling within video games. There was another hearing on. Monday with the UK Gambling Commission who basically ruled that well FIFA loot boxes aren't technically gambling but my word they're they're, they're pretty damn close and then for the same week in fact what the day later for GTA is like hey here's this in-game casino and I gather I, I don't play GTA online I finished the campaign and then just traded in the game like I, I'm, I'm not an online player but I gather the casino itself the actual building has been in the game for a good while before they actually kind of introduced the functionality but to do it and uh, but to do it this week when you've got the gambling commission going before parliament saying yeah i don't think this is quite gambling and it's like hey here is literal gambling but not technically gambling. It's just only Rockstar could get away with this.
0: Right. The context on this, it's, it's just like so wild to me. So I, I know, yeah, the casino has been in game for a while. It's kind of just been sitting there and people have been looking at it like, what is this going to be a thing? And so there's a lot of people really excited about this. I do think like, it seems people thought they were going to go the route of Red Dead Redemption two, right? So in Red Dead Redemption two, they introduced um, like gambling tables or whatever, a little while back. However, they're, they used a separate currency and there was absolutely no way to get that currency by paying real money. There's just no way to do it. So it, it was a thing that was in the game, but it, but it was fine because it was just, you know, you know, there's, heck, there's there's gambling and there's like slot machines in Pokemon. I mean, that's like a thing that happens. Um, but, but yeah, and it wasn't the, wasn't the, the thing in the UK, they, they said, um, they were looking at uh, the FIFA stuff and they were saying that it wasn't gambling because there was no way to cash out. And this is like literally everything about gambling except the cashing out. It's just, it's so yeah. close. It's just wild. Why would you invite them? But then there's, there's a whole,
3: there's a whole industry around this on mobile. There's the social casino games, which all right, I don't, I, I have to confess I haven't played those titles, but I don't think you, I'm not sure whether or not you can put real money into them. But no, you, you almost certainly can because they're free to play, right? So there are there are social casino games, which are literally mobile versions of, of actual casino games where you try and win money, but it's not real money that you can cash out. There's an entire industry dedicated to this that, I think because it's, it's so open and it's so blatant and it is like, look, this is a social casino game. This is essentially a virtual yeah. form of gambling. I, I, don't, I, I don't know if that's I mean, I've, why. I've
2: got a, I've got a contrary view. Yeah. Of course I do. Um, of course you do. I always do. <laughs> um, but the truth is, gam- uh, casinos are fun. They're games. Um, uh, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's GTA. Um, so of course there's a casino in GTA. I mean, there's far worse in GTA. Um, it, and it's not, right, I say, you can't is. win actual moment. It's an adult's game. So it's got adult content in it. If the argument is that it sort of trains people to gamble, I don't really, it's, it seems, sounds, it's not the same, but it is, you know, I don't buy it because it's, you know, I've been told that apparently the game used to teach people to kill as well. Um, but, but the thing is, you know, I, I mean, for me, you're paying money. You don't have to pay money because you can get the currency in other ways. But the idea is you're paying money to play a game. Um, and the game happens to be, you know, casino games. But, but here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what I think or even what you think actually it, I mean, it doesn't matter the industry is awash with opinions and feelings about the whole oh, subject thanks chris <laughs> no but it's just, it, i just mean you i mean like generally anyone listening at home it doesn't matter because we, we, we don't actually know we have no idea what impact the stuff is having on the minds of people we've got some research but all of it's contradictory and we get bogged down on semantics around words like gambling and addiction um, and, and the truth is it doesn't matter if it's gambling or not the question is is it exploitative is it problematic is um is and um and yeah nobody's actually doing the research needed to establish what the negative effects of these sort of service games are or social media like twitter and everything like you know facebook and the impact of that either we feel there is a problem we think there is a problem we're writing about the problem but what are they you know what is causing them what can we do about it i mean my feeling is the industry does have a duty of care to its audiences i think we need to be very ultimately the problem of gam the whole problem with gta casino in my mind what i think people are saying the problem with it is is that casinos are addictive they're fun people want to take part and now they just end up keep putting money in to take part in a game they don't get any money back out and the idea is they're spending loads of money we we as an industry should be thinking about that we should be we um, i know some teams companies actually do have this have members of their community teams that look after cut you know think you know identify players that epic clearly don't as the dcms hearing showed how little they knew about their audience but um uh the the um when You've got, um, uh, if there's a player spending loads and loads of money, you know, is it we is can't stop them if they want to, they can do if they've got the money and they can afford to, and, and they say they're fine. But it's is worth us checking up on, you know, checking in on them, it's worth us, um, you know, people that are overplaying, checking on them. That's what I feel we should be doing, but ultimately, um, until somebody and I'm talking trade bodies, platform holders, whoever actually commissions a really big, detailed, proper, government supported, whatever research into the impacts all this is having on my stuff. It's all just opinion and people disagreeing on semantics and I I I'm I'm, I'm sick to death of it to be honest. <laughs> but... um, so um but uh, anyway I went off way from GTA there. But uh yeah
0: and I, th- I think you're largely right. Um, I my my thing about this is uh, th- that may all very well be true. I mean, I think there are like like some things about this, right? So you there are limits um, on how much you can spend per hour. I think I think someone like did the math and they came out with something like you can only you can only spend a max of a dollar fifty in real money per hour, and that's if you're again if you're not using any money earned in game. So like realistically, it's probably not going to be a huge real money grab for them, like like in terms of you know things they could be doing. Um, but I, I think the thing is more just the timing of it and the optics of it. Right. Like we're trying to have an industry conversation about things like monetization models and loot boxes and stuff like that, like we're in the middle of that. And whether or not it actually has a negative effect on people who are playing games, like regardless of that, there are people at the government level of multiple countries who are looking at this and saying, this doesn't look great. We might need to regulate this. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out how to regulate it, and the industry is, you know, needs to be the ones to come forward and, you know, you know, kind of do the research on this stuff and, you know, you know, try to present a good front to make sure that we don't get a bunch of really like crummy and not well-suited regulations on it. And then in the middle of all this, Rockstar comes out with this thing that just, you know, regardless of whether or not it is bad, it looks real bad. Oh. Um, it, it just, it just looks just wildly irresponsible. And I, I just, I, it's just crazy. I can't, I, I I, do I, love, know, no, I
2: love the fact that uh, Rockstar, you know when you, we've got to choose images, we're writing about loot boxes, we're writing about gambling, and we're all sitting there going, what image are we going to use on this story, you know, oh, what picture? oh thank you Rockstar <laughs> for supplying the imagery, now we've got, going, we could, we could, beautiful,
0: we have <laughs> we a, casino. a
2: casino, oh, this is perfect, no, it doesn't matter if it's relevant or not, it's like that time when everyone was writing about um, bugs in games and, uh, and things like that, and you know, problems with games launching with bugs, and everyone just used that horrible picture of Assassin's Creed for pretty much a year, um, it's like well thanks thanks for solving that problem box i know it is odd timing and i did think it's fun. interestingly. i actually looked at it and i thought it kind of both highlights why it's a problem and why it isn't a problem because but it, it's not loot boxes it? it's not randomized um but it, it, it is it, it's, it's not no it's just a section it's, in the game I, that you can spend money in but um yeah
3: and the thing it, it's just it we know that it's just a section you can spend money in the game in we know that that. Technically, you know, like as much as you are not cashing out the reward, you do get is increased funds to spend on cars, weapons, apartments, or whatever in the game. And we are aware that you know most play, vast majority of players who use that GTA casino, will know and understand that, and know and understand the risks going in. But it's the way that it's been reported by the wider media, like yo, know, you just. Uh, and it's it's the the obfuscation as well of it like so i like, said you know the the GTA 5 casino like you know it's been reported it was on the BBC you know gga introduces casino where you can spend real money uh, on chips technically technically you don't technically you spend real money on more in game money and then you spend the in game money on the uh, chips but that goes back to something you were saying on a much much previous episode um chris about the obfuscations as, as to in terms of like distancing the the real transaction from the in-game transaction like that doesn't change the fact that there is a real transaction happening there it just it looks shady and it looks dodgy at a time when we're trying trying to show that we are taking this issue seriously as an industry uh, just yeah it just i only I, I guess again only rockstar could have got away with this or could could have done this so so brazenly
1: this is what rockstar does though right they've made their their business by like having that edgelord image that, that yeah, we don't care about your rules cause we're too cool for school. And it's always like, well, it's often one, uh, been incredibly successful monetarily for the industry, I guess, bringing in all kinds of new people and money. Um, <clears throat> and also been like strategically ill-advised for, for the industry, like uh Grand Theft Auto San Andreas started a, a whole new wave of um you know gaming violence discussion in the mid 2000s and then when they're already being demonized for this they're like hey let's do a game about a school bully this will this will go over well um, I, I like that though you know, that game was and, the one and we wind
2: up and f- that was the one Rockstar game with the school bully it's a bit like this actually the school, that was the one Rockstar game where the the character that you play is actually the good guy uh, <laughs> Well, that was the nicest rockstar game I played, um, but of course that's not what they, that's not the headline of the uh, the game. But anyway, Garen.
1: Yeah, so they just they they poke and they they prod and they what that's what they do and and it's it's weird because like they're simultaneously simultaneously like the most image conscious company in the industry, uh, but also like the most oblivious sometimes to what the, the perceptions of what they say and do are going to be, um, you know, like Dan Hauser's talking about 120 hour work weeks or whatever, leading up to, uh, red dead redemption Two. like, I don't, I don't think that was a calculated decision by him to try and like, yeah, we should be in this crunch conversation here. But, um, it it definitely in, injected a you know kicked it up to another level, it, and it's I I don't know like I'm I'm tired of Rockstar it's shenanigans. <laughs> These are shenanigans, and I grow tired of them. I stopped...
0: They've been, like, the poster child for industry shenanigans for years. Like, for, like since since before I was, like, actively engaged in video games in any meaningful way. Um, and, and yet, there's, you know, there's still what... As far as we know, based on concrete numbers we have, GTA V is, like, the best-selling game of all time right now.
1: Yeah, and that's... I don't know, like, my perception of them has changed from, like, wow, they will push the envelope with you know, sort of crude or violent stuff to make interesting games, to now it's just like, you know, they're, they're a 13-year-old that's way, way into their entire boxed set collection of South Park reruns and is is just looking to get a rise out of people. And it's unfortunate, because, like, right now, I don't think that's really benefiting the industry. The, the one They've only done one, one actual new game this generation.
2: This entire by the time we got PS5 and Project Scarlet, we'd have had one completely new Rockstar game. That is the. Uh, huh. That is um. Obviously, they've done you know, new versions for the new machines, but they updated L.A. Noire and GTA 5. But we've had one brand new, totally brand new Rockstar game. We probably won't get another one. Um, but that's the. Uh, they're, they're taking their time.
0: That's a good note to end that one on uh finally nintendo's getting a little bit of heat from its fans right now uh since it launched the nintendo switch a lot of customers have complained of something called joy-con drift where the analog stick on joy-con keeps registering movement even when the player isn't doing anything uh, people who have dealt with this have reported that getting them repaired doesn't always seem to permanently fix those issues. And some people have also said they you know, went and bought new Joy-Cons to replace the defective ones and ended up having the exact same problem again. So Nintendo's had a week where that's been kind of like a hot topic for them. Uh, they're currently facing a class action lawsuit. Um, But then on Wednesday, uh, Waypoint over at Vice got a hold of an internal memo from Nintendo saying that customers would not be asked for warranty or proof of purchase um, if they were asking Nintendo to fix their Joy-Cons and that Nintendo would fix them for free. I guess that still doesn't really solve the problem of fixing it, not solving the problem, but um, that's currently what they're doing. So this one's like kind of wild to me. Uh, So many people, I've been reading about people saying they've had this issue ever since the Switch came out. Um, I've had a Switch since launch. I haven't had this issue, but I mostly play on the Pro Controller. Uh, it sounds like Nintendo's just kind of from reading these articles. It sounds like Nintendo's kind of trying its best to pretend like this isn't a thing. Like they're mm-hmm. sort of trying to avoid saying there's something wrong with the controller. I mean, maybe to be
2: fair, we would know if it was. We, we still might happen, but we would know if this is a major issue because Nintendo would have to face... it. It's difficult to know. We've seen these. Sto- I I've see. I've I've seen a few of these, and a few of them, you know, once or twice, we turned into the red ring of death, right, where it, it's a massive issue, and then sometimes it's uh, oh god, this seems to be a major problem with this hardware and actual fact there's no profit warning there's no because every games company every company that produces hardware they estimate you know they, they, they build in an expected number of faulty products and I know that when it comes to sort of particularly spikes high-end statue companies I estimate 10% of them will be broken or damaged by the time they get reached their customers so they actually build 10% extra and um, and I'm I i don't know it won't be that high I suspect for Switch and when you think about that when you think but Nintendo of what there's two Joy Cons per console. They're probably up to about so they probably about 100 million Joy Cons out there. Um, and if uh, if five percent of them are faulty, then you know I have had a Joy Con problem. I haven't had a Joy Con drift. I've actually got like seven six Joy I've got so well, technically seven Joy Cons. Um, I did have a problem with one of them, which was the button, which is also not and it's a problem other people have had with the ZR ZR button being a potentially breaking when you pull the controllers. Um and um. So until, you know, it's like, it's interesting, the Nintendo Life story that going up about it, they're, they're one of our sister brands. We see, we can see how many people read those that story, and it was a lot of people. A lot of people read that story. But you read the comments, and it looked like everybody was having the problem. But it was probably about 30 comments saying, so it's difficult to know how widespread the issue is. It could be a common fault with the device, but whether it's, whether we're talking 2 million here or, you know, 5 million here, which isn't actually percentage-wise that many, um, or if we're talking half of them develop this fault. I mean, if if Nintendo are c- going out with a statement to tell people, they're probably just doing a, you know, th- th- a positive PR thing, like, oh, this is a, a relative problem, people are talking about it, um, we've got a class action lawsuit against it, let's just, you know, to make this as clear as possible, let's just let everyone who has a problem the drift the controllers, they can get a new one, you know, and if it... and um, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that's quite common. Not Normally they don't leak out, but if there's a regular issue... with It's like with the Red Ring of Death. Xbox officially made it official that you could get a new Xbox out of warranty and all this kind of stuff that cost them hundreds of millions. But um, uh, um, they were actually doing that for months before they actually made it a big public announcement because, you know, they, they were aware of the issue beforehand anyway and they were just telling customers, yeah, yeah, it was fine. Um, but, yeah, no, it's difficult, it's difficult to know how big the problem is without... Um, about, you know, because it can sound like loads of people on the internet, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is loads of people. Uh, well, it will be, isn't in it? it's percentage-wise loads of people. I mean, I had the problem with drift on um, uh, the um, I had nunchucks. I had a few, you know, I had a few things with that back in the old you know, It's and I read that that was a relatively common problem. I don't know how much of a common problem it was, but you're talking about a machine that's like one of the most popular consoles in the world. So at the moment, so I don't, yeah, it's definitely, I think it's definitely, a, it's definitely a fault with certain batches, all of the, you know, I've not had any problems. You've not had any problems, James. You've had a problem, so I think it's. I think you know, it's, it's just um, if Nintendo's next financials has a write down in it because they've had to produce a load of extra Joy Cons to uh, to fit um, to send out to customers, then we know that it was a, a bigger issue than than the normal you know bracketed you know allowed fault line. It's something that will get fixed over
3: time as well. Like in the. Uh, so we know from a from a filing and from an update to the japanese switch website that there is a new version of the flagship switch on the way out so not the switch like the switch as it is there is a new version uh, and i say new version. it's just had a few components swapped out it's had a few um you know technical technical adjustments it's still the same device largely probably you know cheaper or more efficient components that nintendo have found still gonna be the same price point that that sort of thing that you know hardware manufacturers do this all the time like kind of you know improve the design of their products that's the sort of thing that you know maybe that will solve the drift over time and in the meantime if we've got these free replacements fantastic i'm b- b- somewhat selfishly i'm almost glad that people are um i'm making a fuss about this because it started to happen to me within the last couple of weeks or so and i genuinely thought i was going back. I've i've only been playing skyrim and i thought it was like a uh Buddy character or the companion character just pushing me out of the way. I didn't realise it. Oh no, hang on! This is actually my stick mucking up. So I'm now I'm now debating taking up on this uh free free repair myself but yeah like, like chris says like time will tell as to how widespread a, a problem this is it's just the trouble with the internet like you know the vocal minority makes it look like it's happening to everyone um hopefully you know the more the more improved models as they as they come out and you know when the switch yeah you know, the, the switch pro comes out you know like no doubt that will have fixed this issue hopefully. i think
1: part of it um it might seem like a bigger deal than it actually is in part because uh joy cons are expensive like yeah. these things in canada here it's a hundred bucks for for a replacement set of joy cons and like i've never paid that much for a controller before unless you count steel battalion it's ah it's... Oh, but brendan but brendan you're getting
0: two controllers uh i'm getting
1: used those two controllers like those are the worst most awful how can anyone use this controllers ever and and if it were cheaper, if it were just the price of a Dual Shock or an Xbox One or whatever, and I and I had a um, you know an, an issue with a little bit of drift on the thing, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll get another one, and then that'll be the uh, the guest controller, you know, like the terrible off party third third party uh, off brand controller you get the Mad Cats, I guess that you give your guests is, when they come
0: over. That is sort of part of it too, right? Like, so you have, when you buy a Switch, you get a pair of Joy Cons. And one of them has this problem. Not both of them, one of them. You have to buy two whole Joy-Cons in order to well, replace the one that's messed
2: don't. up. I think like, they sell individually. Yeah. Do But who buys <laughs> them um, individually? Because I actually had... The reason why I've got seven Joy-Cons is because for some reason I didn't, I didn't send mine back. Um, I, when my Z, Z, R button, whatever it is, stopped working. I was wanting to play Mario Party and I couldn't do it because one of the buttons didn't work. Um, I am... Um, I went out and bought another one, standalone, single.
1: See? You can do it.
2: They're still expensive. They're still like 40 quid
1: or whatever. Otherwise, you'd be in the comments section on Nintendo Life raising hell like everyone else. (laughs) But you just bought another one. I wonder if we'll get a, like a Joy-Con light.
3: You know, for the so for the Switch light, they've dropped the the HD rumble and the IR functionality. Because to be fair, as much as as much as they wanted developers to try and make use of these, nobody bloody does. So I wonder if we'll get like Joy-Con lights that just drop those couple of things and like you know like thirty forty quid
1: cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice.
0: I love the idea of the Joy-Cons but realistically when I'm using my Switch I'm playing with my Pro Controller. Or in handheld mode. One of those two. Yep. The, best, the best
2: thing with the Joy-Cons, what I do like, what I love with Mario, only Mario Odyssey's really done it, is the idea of you controlling the game using both Joy-Con controllers but you don't have to connect them together. Cause I've never played a game like that. Where I, I did have one controller but in two hands and the two hands are like, nowhere near each other. You know, that's you know, I, could, I thought that was always... I really enjoyed that. It was the first time the Joy-Cons made me think, well oh, this is different. I'm playing a game with two Wii remotes, basically, but um, I don't know. I thought that was cool. Um, but I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm the, I almost always play it in handheld mode, and I do have like two Pro controllers, I tend to use that. Although, I've actually got a problem with one of my Pro controllers sticking. But this is all, that's uh, not a. answer. Uh, maybe I should get Nintendo Life to write an article about it. Um, and they'll, yeah, will uh... <laughs> Start your class action lawsuit uh, now, Chris.
0: They should just bring back the GameCube controller. That was the they controller didn't... everybody liked, no. right?
2: That wow. was perfect. That thing was perfect.
3: <laughs>
0: they brought it, it, it back already.
2: I've got, uh, I've got, I use my GameCube controllers from time to time.
1: On, uh, for Smash?
2: On the, on the, well, you can use it on Smash. There's a few games you can use it on. Um. Uh. They did a re- They did a new one with Smash, but there's been an adapter where you can use GameCube controllers on the Switch for quite a while, Um. which I do when I play Smash. It's good.
1: I hate those jelly bean buttons. <laughs> the jelly bean buttons are great, and and that second the jelly bean buttons, the second analog stick. Oh, it's the worst. It's, yeah, lovely. No, it's so it's good. a tiny little nub,
3: and that's satisfying. That that click at the bottom of the uh, shoulder triggers. You know, like it's nice and smooth down, and uh, then click at the bottom. Oh, uh, lovely control. So nice. no. um. All
0: right, on, on the note that we all except Brendan love GameCube controllers, <laughs> that's probably it for today. You can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms, and you can and should get your daily dose of industry news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz.